turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And when you find it, would you please stand in reverence for God's word as we read it? Hear now the word of the Lord. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be back. I, I had a trip to Dallas, Texas, and it's always weird leaving New York City because I was born and raised here, and in Dallas, Texas, everybody smiles. And it was good to be back because right after I got off the plane, uh, there were two um, air, airline workers that walked into the, to the plane when I was leaving, and they would just have like, <clears throat> like frowns in their faces looking down, no eye contact. And it's like, it's good to be back. I love New York. Uh, and, you know, it's always good to come back home. Uh, and I'm so happy that I could come back. I just came back from a conference on stewardship, and it's always, it's a, it's, it was a blessing. Um, I got to be with pastors from these huge mega churches, uh, from Willow Creek, pastors from uh, Saddleback Church in California and in Dallas, Texas Gateway. If you don't know who they are, it's fine. Uh, it's like um, Carrie Job's church. So I was in Carrie Job's church looking for Carrie Job with my phone. I didn't catch a glimpse of her. We had the leader of uh, Gateway's church's uh, praise team lead us in worship. And I was hoping it would be Carrie Job, but she's not the leader, so it was just some dude. Uh, but I still had a great time. And uh, even though I was with all these pastors from these mega churches, I was so happy to be back. Um, I really like our church. And I'm not saying we're better, I'm not saying anything like that, but you know. I heard, oh, bless you. Oh, my goodness. Um, see, that's still the Dallas in me. Otherwise, I would have just ignored it if I was, a, if I was here a little longer. But, um, yeah, I was just thinking, man, Kenny, our worship leaders, uh, they're just as good as Gateway. Yeah, anyway, they, they are. They are. I was just, you know, just so happy to be back worshiping with you. Of course, most of you didn't even feel anything. It's like, when I saw you like two days ago, what's the big deal? But it was really weird being away from home. Finally, I'm back. And today we're talking about Ash Wednesday. Uh, it's about when Jesus goes out into, into the wilderness. And 40 days might not seem like a long time. But I got to tell you, after I came back, even three days seemed too long away from home. I don't know if you ever experienced that. But I want to talk about three things today or tonight. And that is about Ash Wednesday. Number one is why we start. Number two is where we start. And number three is how we start. So why we start, where we start, and how we start. You know, when we talk about Ash Wednesday, people, first thing they think of is, why do we do this? Isn't this a Roman Catholic tradition? Why are we doing it? And then, in the past, I've actually seen some angry posts like, hey, we're not Roman Catholic. We shouldn't do Ash Wednesday. So I want to explain to those of us who are here, and, you know, you guys are here because you're going to do it, but it feels like maybe we should just be reminded. Um, first of all, 
When people ask, why do we do it? Isn't it a Roman Catholic tradition? Uh, that is not a good argument, first of all. The reason being is, just be, the reason being is, if your answer is we shouldn't do it because the Catholics do it, then that's just weird to me. So, you know, the Roman Catholics worship on Sunday. They do it on Sunday. Maybe we shouldn't do it on Sunday. So that's, that's that argument doesn't fit. But why we do it, and I'm going to give you three quick reasons why we do it is, we do it because we're following after Jesus as a church together. We do it because we're following after Jesus together as a church. And this is a tradition from long ago, uh, even, even before the, the split between Protestants and Catholics. This is a tradition that all the Western churches of the world would get together and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to prepare our hearts, minds, souls, and we're going to fast together as a church. And that's why number two, it leads to spiritual discipline. We all need discipline. Um, I don't know any of us that can really boast, hey, I don't need discipline. It's like that really unhealthy person that says to you, I don't need to work out. I'm just naturally healthy and fit. And then you look at that person like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm sure you are. But you know absolutely that's not true, uh, that they should exercise at least, bro, at least go for a walk. Like, no. Me and my PlayStation is good enough. My finger exercises will make me super healthy. And you know, that's not true. But in the same way, we also need spiritual discipline. Number three, what we are doing together is we are professing that we are not perfect, but that Jesus is. Jesus did it, and we follow him. And this shows humility in our obedience. Humility in our, in our obedience. Well, this is why we do it. Number two is where we start. We start from the wilderness. It's so interesting here because Jesus comes into the picture in every gospel. Jesus comes into the picture and then you see God blessing Jesus, saying, the Father saying, this is my son who, with whom I am well pleased. And you see the dove descending on Jesus. And this is ama this amazing scene that's never been seen before in history happens. Jesus is there. He's getting baptized by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit descends on like a dove. The heavens open up. And the Father says, this is my son. What kind of affirmation is it? That's one amazing affirmation. It's never been seen before, never been done before, and we see this blessing, this affirmation, this confirmation on Jesus Christ. You know, us too. You remember the first time you believed in Jesus? There is this affirmation. The Holy Spirit lifts us up, and we are so happy a lot of us, we expressed it through tears, through joy, through just, just, you just couldn't contain the emotion, but your spirit was leaping when you received Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. There's always, always, I'm going to say it again, always the wilderness that comes right after. Don't be surprised. 
A lot of people receive Jesus Christ and like, I am so happy. I have Jesus Christ in my life. Now I know that I am safe and secure in his arms. And then the next thing that happens just confounds everybody, confuses you. Because all of a sudden you see these prayers being answered everywhere you go. Like God is just answering the prayers you wanted. And then boom, the wilderness. And you're like, what's going on? I thought, I thought I had your approval, God. I thought you were my savior. And everything I prayed, you just seemed to answer. Why all of a sudden this wilderness? Why all of a sudden this drought? Why all of a sudden this silence? And it leaves you wondering sometimes, doesn't it? This is the truth to so many of us, if not all of us. And for some of us, it's longer than others. But I guarantee you, the wilderness comes. What is the wilderness uh, for 40 years? When you say wilderness, this is what people would have thought of. For 40 years, the Israelites traveled through the desert. And it was 40 days for Jesus. And you might be like, oh, 40 years, 40 days, no comparison. Until I was in the wilderness for just a week, and I thought I was going to die. Um, I don't know how many of you like adventure. I love adventure. I do not want the humdrum of life, the commonplaceness. You know, what I'm really saying is it's just boring. If you just go to school, go to work, come back home, go to church on Sundays, that's great. But that kind of gets into a routine, doesn't it? And then you kind of get bored, don't you? You kind of get tired. Sometimes you get depressed. That's just what happens. So if you're like me, I love adventure. Uh, if I can't go anywhere, then you can read a book, right? But if there was any place I wanted to go ever since I was little, uh, there, were, there were two places, and it didn't change. In fact, even today, it has not changed. Um, maybe I'll add Syria to that, to that list. If, I were, if you had to say, give me a number three, I would ask, add Syria. But um, number one was Israel, and number two was Japan. Only because at the time it was the hardest places to minister in. It seemed really dark. And I said, you know what? I would love a challenge. You know, what kind of life are we living if everything's easy? That's boring. Uh, that's, why, that's why I think we go through these stages. And that's why I think some of these guys here uh, in our CGS uh, camp, they, when they play basketball, I got to tell you, I don't want to play basketball with our church members. Not because I don't love them, but because they play like it's life or death. So they will rip you down. They will foul you. I got hit in the face on, on Saturday and I was like, why did I just get hit in the face? This is not worth it for me. <laughs> my face is my moneymaker. I can't do anything to this face. No, no, no. And I really didn't like getting hit in the face. And, um, but they, they, they play like, this is it. I better make this play. This is going to go down in history as me blocking Pastor Eugene or something like that. I don't know. And so I, I think it's in us. We want this adventure. And I was with this uh, mission program and they said to the whole team, pray about it. Where would you like to go? I prayed about it, of course. And it didn't change for me. So I wrote down 
what I, where I wanted to go. And I said, God, if this is your will, if you're going to open the door, then I really want to go. Um, and I wrote down on a small piece of paper, uh, Egypt slash Israel. That's how I wrote it down. Um, and then I folded it up, put it in the basket. And this was, a, this was a, a missionary kind of training with almost 300 people. After they got it, uh, they would see, you know, how many people did that. But we had over 20 people, so about 10% of this group, that wrote exactly Egypt slash Israel. So I was like, yes, this is it. I'm going. And as a kid, I'm sure a lot of you may not, not know, some of you older folks may know this, uh, there was um, a movie series with Harrison Ford that I used to watch a lot, and it's called Indiana Jones. And I was in the subway, uh, this train, not a subway, there was a train, and it was so raggedy, I thought it was going to fall apart in any second. So I had my little camcorder, I was like, this is the most exciting thing ever, and I was singing to myself, dun, 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 dun. and I, I went to the bathroom. I, I flipped open the toilet seat cover, and there was nothing. It was just a hole. So I just saw railroad tracks going like this. And I said, oh, I guess that's how they do their business. No plumbing in these trains. And I was so excited. Uh, and one time, I was wearing a galabea. And a galabea, if you don't know what it is, it's an Egyptian garb. And uh, I bought this garb. And it was, I bought this garb and I got out of the cab and the cab driver looks at me and he's like, mm. and I was like, Ugh. and I was like, you have no idea why I'm really wearing this garb. Because I ran out of clothes. Because um, I had something that I'm going to share with you that I haven't shared in, I think, eight years in, from the pulpit. It has something called FBP and that's called fiery butt pee, right? And so I actually went into the desert. I went to the desert, and the desert is crazy. The wilderness is insane. During the day, it's literally over 100 degrees. You, would, you could burn up and just die. So we had these, like, things. The reason why people wear towels and stuff that go down to the neck is so the necks just don't get burned off. So I needed to make sure I wore my galabea. I had like shorts and underwear underneath. Soon that will be gone. But that's a, I'll tell you that later. But I had my Galabia. I was riding camels. I was like, dun, 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 dun. And I was going. I, was, I loved it. I was like, this is the adventure. We, we would visit the Bedouin camp, which are the people that lived in the Sahara Desert. And uh, they, would, they would be so hospitable. This is how people in the Middle East really treat their neighbors. And I loved it. They weren't Christian. They were Muslim but we really wanted to introduce Christianity to them because they had no idea. And so when we were with them, we would pray for them. They would have these like mosques. And it's like, can we pray inside these mosques? And they'd be like, yeah, sure, just don't tell anybody. And we would pray inside these mosques, like God, break these mosques down because <laughs> we want Jesus Christ to reign. So we would be doing things like that. And they loved us so much. The way they cooked bread was they would take the dough and put it on just outside because outside was so hot on these big rocks, and they just put the, the dough there, and it would, just, it would just, the bread would get cooked, and then we would eat it. There were no uh, utensils, so we all ate it with our hands. The thing about the Bedouins is there's no toilet paper, so you just started wondering, and then like, wait, there's no toilet paper. Everybody eats with their hands. 
what is going on here? So I was just thinking, what's going on here? And um, my tour guide assured me, don't worry, don't worry, Eugene, right? That's how this, <laughs> don't worry. As long as they don't shake your hand with their left hand, that's fine. They eat with their right hand and they wipe with their left hand. I was like, okay, I'm fine. But after I went to this camp, this is how they would greet me. It's like, hello. And I thought I took out my right hand and they would shake me with both hands, right? It's like, oh no, this is big trouble. And at night, it gets freezing cold. So there's nothing but sand dunes. At night, it gets freezing cold. And I started to feel real sick. I was like, I feel so sick. It was so hot in the day, so cold at night. It literally felt, and so they brought out mattresses for us because we're, you know, we're noobs in the desert. They brought out these mattresses for us, and, I, and in, on top of the mattresses, I was in a sleeping bag, and I was still shivering. But every time, the mattress wasn't long enough for me. They're all small people, apparently, but the mattress wasn't long enough for me. So every time my sleeping bag kind of leaked off the mattress, the feet portion of my sleeping bag would touch the sand, and I felt like I was putting my feet on, in ice. That's how cold it was. It was so cold even through the sleeping bag. And I was dying. I was having cold sweats. I didn't know what to do. So I was sick. I was just, I was shivering. They said, hi, don't worry. We got you. I'm like, okay, we have this medicine. I said, okay, please give it to me. I'll take anything. And it's like, it's just this tea. Drink this tea. So I drank this tea, and I have to give you this warning. If anybody in the desert, let's say you guys ever go to the desert, and they offer you this tea that will make you feel better, don't drink the tea. Just don't drink the tea. First of all, I'm just like, where did they get this water? <laughs> I don't know. They cut up on a cactus or something? I don't know. So I drank the tea, and my body, my inside digestive system went crazy. I just couldn't hold anything in. Everything just came right out. So in the middle of the night, I would have to get up in the freezing cold and I would have to run over a sand dune because I'm not gonna go in front of people. So I was running across the sand dune and I would do my business. And you have to bend over a little, so I'm bending over, right? And then I got to see the most beautiful sight. They're like, oh, look at all these stars. And in the meantime, I'm doing my business. It's coming out this, like hell is coming out this way, but I see heaven this way, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh man, I'm dying, but the stars, they're just amazing. And if you can imagine it, it's just white because the sand was light color and the moon would just reflect off the sand. So the ground was all white. And the Milky Way was from horizon to horizon. So I see a string of just stars like this, like a belt. And it was beautiful. So I couldn't fully enjoy it because I was doing, trying to do my business. And every, every two minutes, I, I can't hold it in. So that's why, I'm not, I don't want to get into too much detail, but that's why I had to throw away my clothes because some would get on my clothes. So I just throw, I threw my boxers away. Then I threw my shorts away. Then I had other pants. I had to throw that away. I had nothing but the Galabea on. So when we went back from the desert, the cab driver was like, ugh. I was like, you have no idea. But I love this Galabea. It saved me. Otherwise, I'd just be naked in Egypt. Uh, but for me, when I experienced that, even just one week, the intensity of the sun burning you and the freezing cold of the night not having the food that you're used to, I couldn't even last a week. After the trip, they said, 
Eugene, would you like some of the tea we gave you? And I said, absolutely, I would love some tea because I'm going to give it to all my friends and they're going to suffer just like I did. But wilderness is no joke. When we say Jesus went into the wilderness, we're not saying that, oh, he just went on a retreat. You know, he went over to Pine Brook or Pine Hill or wherever, what other pine place we go to. And he's just like, hey, this, these eggs could be, you know, a little better cooked. That's not, that's not the kind of wilderness. This is wilderness. This is rough stuff. But who led them out there? Who led Jesus out to the wilderness? In the Bible it says the Spirit immediately drove him out to the wilderness. If we are people that are so loved by God, and believe you me, God loves each and every single one of his children. And that especially counts for you. God loves you. Why would he lead us into the wilderness? Furthermore, why are we so afraid of the wilderness? Why are we so afraid to go into uncharted territory just because it's a little dangerous? I'm not saying you, I'm saying us, both you and me. You know, we sing songs. And after I told you this story, we sing this song. And the song line goes like this. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. We sing these songs and we have no idea what we're saying. But you know where that comes from? That's inspired by the life of Christ. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. We start from the wilderness because God leads us first through the wilderness. And we are saying, I trust you, God. Wherever you lead me, I trust that you will keep me. I did not die in that desert, although I thought I might have. I might, I could have. But I didn't die there. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, fasted, where there were wild animals around him. But you see that in the book, in the Bible, the angels were ministering to him. Even if we go through the wilderness, it is tough, it's rough, it's difficult. We see here that God is still with us. You start from the wilderness because God will build your discipline and God will build your trust. This is why I go to my final point now. How do we start? Number one is let the Spirit lead you. Let the Spirit lead you. Don't do it out of fear. Do it out of love and trust. Let the Spirit lead you, and don't do it out of fear. Do it out of love and trust. You know why? Because if I do things out of fear, you know what I'm going to do? Ash Wednesday's coming up. Oh, man, i got to fast something again and feast something? What is this, a double whammy? Why do I have to suffer so much? That's how I think. And if I do it out of fear, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the minimum, just so that there is no penalty. You know what kind of life that is? That is an unhappy and bitter life. When you give 
offering, people were like, what's the minimum? You know? And, and if you're in youth group, I want to tell you this. You have to tithe. Start now. Because once you get a lot of money and you didn't start when you were young, you're not going to do it when you're older. It's $2. It's $10. It's $20. Sure. That's your tithe. But when you get older, it's going to be $200, $400, $500. If you can't do $20, you won't be able to do $200. But when you have this spirit of fear, you're like, what's the minimum I can give God so that I can just get by? It's, what's the tithe? Is it gross or is it net? If anybody asks if it's gross or if it's net, that means they're doing it out of fear because the answer, of course, is gross. Anyway, but if anyone asks these questions, that means they're doing it out of fear. What's the minimum I could get by with without me getting in trouble, God? Because you're a scary God. I don't want to trouble you. You know who that guy is? That's the same guy who got one talent and buried it. You guys know this story? There was five, there was two, there was one. What did, what did the guy with one do? Why do you think he had one, first of all? He couldn't even handle one. And he buries it, and then when he brings it back out, I knew you were a mean guy. That's what he says. And so I didn't want to take any chances. So he did the minimum. Was God happy with the minimum? He was not. When you do it out of love and trust, what do you give? You give everything you have because you know that it's not 10% that belongs to God. This, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy and talents. It's not just 10% that you give. Because 10% isn't what belongs to God and 90% is me. It's 100% belongs to God. 100% belongs to God. So when I ask how much should I give God, it's how much would you be pleased with God? I want to give that to you. And when I see lives being lived that way, I see God's immense blessing on their lives. It doesn't necessarily mean that if you give 10%, God is going to give you more money. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is they live an abundant life. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we long for? So when we do this fasting and feasting, if you didn't write it in yet, that, that paper, by the way, is for you. If you didn't get a paper, I want you to write on it. Let the Spirit lead you. And don't do it out of fear. Do it out of love and trust. Love and trust, you are able to give an absolute 100% without reservation. You know why we can do it? Because God gave us 100% without reservation. He gave us his most precious son, after the wilderness, Jesus goes out and he is able to do amazing, miraculous, just mind-blowing things that the world had never seen before. But only to be crucified and killed, spit upon, cursed at, so that he would die for us. We can give 100% without reservation because God gave us 100%. And if you know anything about relationships, if you hold back, let's say you guys have friends, you have family, when you start holding back a little bit from your friends and your family, guess what? The other person starts holding back a little bit. 
you know, I'm not going to tell this person everything. I'll just give her a little something. I'm not going to give him all of the things he needs. It's better if I don't. I'll hold back a little. And you start holding more and more and more back. You guys aren't friends. You guys aren't family anymore. You see the relationships just deteriorate and then break apart. But you see, God gave us 100% so that when we give 100%, we are fully in God and God is fully in us. And this is what he desires from us. That's why when we start this Ash Wednesday, I'm going to challenge you right now. Where is the spirit leading you? Don't be afraid. Do it out of love and trust. Be assured that God will minister to you and you will be in him and he will be in you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for the life of your son, Jesus. We know that he was able to do what we could not. He was able to live the life we couldn't live. He was able to die the death we should have died. But because of your son, we have everything. And Lord, during this Lenten season, we want to give you everything. We don't want to hold back. Spirit, lead us. Help us to follow you with love and trust, growing in love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.